0: The game. you don't play to just play, come after me, I'm a man, I'm for you, can't wait,
1: Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show here on Sports Empire Network with Chris and Mo. And good morning, more importantly, to our new audience this morning. Good morning to all of you out there watching us through Northeast Streaming Sports. Happy to have you here with the morning show this morning. I am Chris. That is Mo. Mo, how are you this morning, sir?
0: Doing well, Chris. Doing great. Coming off of a disappointing and insanely disappointing monday night football game
1: only if you're a giants fan
0: and if you're a fan of quarterbacks not getting beaten down
1: that's that's true mo let's start there this morning uh 11 sacks it was it was tough to watch for the majority of the evening if you were a giants fan and mo let's start on the other side first um i don't believe that as dominant as the Seattle Seahawks defense was, I don't particularly think it was a great showing for their offense. You take out the pick six and you're looking at an offense that put up 17 points against a Giants defense that they're okay. Mo, they're nothing spectacular. Um, And considering the way the offense played last night, two turnovers, 11 sacks, the Seattle offense consistently had above average starting field position. I wasn't overly impressed by the Seattle offense. So I want to start there. What were your takeaways from the Seattle offensive side of the ball last night? Because obviously the Seattle defense ruled today. They absolutely obliterated the lack of an offensive line that the Giants had. They had a couple of injuries on their offensive line. And we'll we'll get to Daniel Jones in a minute. But – offensively, despite the the knee injury to Geno Smith, he came out for a little bit, but he did come back in after halftime. What were your takeaways from that side of the ball for Seattle?
0: Um, I just thought their offense was very stagnant, Chris. Um, I really expected more of them. And 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 I don't want to be disrespectful to the Giants' defense, but I thought with the talent on the outside and what they had been doing with Geno, getting him on the move, letting him make plays with his legs a little bit. I just thought their offense would be more explosive and it was just very stagnant. And like you said, with the short side of the field, with the two turnovers, they didn't really do anything with those opportunities.
1: No, not at all. And then if you look to the offensive side of the ball for the New York Giants, I mean, I I don't know. I, I've, I'm not a big Daniel Jones fan, Uh, If you look at his numbers, 27 for 34, he only had seven incomplete passes. I mean, he was completing passes out there. He only threw for 203 yards. He didn't have time. There wasn't time to do anything. The offensive line last night, and I I don't do this a lot, Mo. Oftentimes, I, I will put more blame on the quarterback than I will on offensive line. I will sit here and I, I am the guy who will say, because that's that's the default position, right? The default position is well, what is he gonna do? There's nothing he can do back there. Right. And my 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 rhetoric to that is fix it. Fast, you know, screen plays, get the ball out quicker, hot reads. There are things you can do from an offensive planning position when your offensive line struggles. There's personnel you can put in. You can put in another tight end. You can move your running back around to assist and help chip block. There's different things you can do to get the ball out a little quicker. So I usually err towards the side of the quarterback needs to do more. This is one of those rare rare moments where I, I'm not going to do that, Mo. There, there's there was nothing more. Daniel Jones, my only critique of Daniel Jones last night was the play where he was strip-sacked because for whatever reason, he apparently thought that as the offensive line was breaking down in front of him, that he had enough time to only put one hand on the football, and he thought he was going to run out of something, like nothing was happening behind him. That was my only criticism of him, because in that situation, you you need to know they're coming behind you. Right. And the fact that he didn't, he wasn't aware of the potential pressure behind him to secure the football, but aside from that, he was taking three-step drops, and they were already in his lap. The majority of the night, there was literally nowhere for him to go with the football. So I, I'm not going to put a lot of this on him because again, he only had seven incomplete passes. His pass given the lack of protection that he had. His completion percentage was phenomenal. The interception, the pick six was ridiculous. I don't know what he was throwing to. Uh, It wasn't open. It wasn't going to be open. He completely didn't read that coverage correctly. But outside of that, he got the ball to where he could get it to, given the situation. And they don't have a lot of explosive
0: playmakers on the outside, right? So you're, you're, you're asking him to do a lot without a lot of weapons in the bigger picture. And his best weapon, obviously, is Saquon Barkley, who was still out. So they're out. They're without really their best offensive football player. And that that starts you off behind the eight ball. That offensive line coming into this season was a question mark ahead of time, and they've already lost guys, multiple guys in and out of that rotation. Like it is so unstable that watching the game last night gave me a, it took me like to a time capsule, and I was thinking of when David Carr was Mm -hmm. a Giants quarterback and the beating that he used to take behind a very poor Giants offensive line. And I'm not a Giants fan, but at at some point I was actually thinking, why don't Dayball pull Daniel Jones? Because he's taking a physical beating. And if you believe he's your franchise quarterback, this game is lost. Even though it's not a high-scoring game, it's lost because you simply can't move the football because your quarterback is under duress every time he drops back
1: he completed passes to 11 different people last night between, running, between receivers, tight ends, and running backs. And I'm sorry, Giant fans, Darren Waller, isn't it? And we've been saying this here in the morning show for about a month now. And there was a point, I think it was midway through the third quarter last night, he had one catch. He had one catch on one target. He ends up with three catches on three targets for 21 yards. When that is supposed to be, your number two option behind Saquon Barkley and his stat line is three targets, three catches, 21 yards. He's not a weapon, Mo. He is not a weapon that is going to make a difference at least on the offensive side of the ball for you.
0: I'm watching Waller. And the more I watch him, I'm like, he would probably be a really good number three or number four receiver. Right. You know what I mean? But, but this idea that he's an elite tight end, he's an elite tight end in the sense that, He's probably faster than most tight ends. So in terms of his raw athleticism, it's impressive. And if you put him on the combine, he might be one of the best athletes at a combine, but put him on a football field outside of running a nine route. What, what good is he? He's not a good blocker. Um, He doesn't have a long route tree and he, he just, he disappears at long periods of the game. You forget many times that Waller's even on the field. So I, 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 I don't know. I know a lot of Giants fans were excited. They were like, we get Waller now. He's going to be explosive down the field or to open up things for Saquon. Waller's not that guy. I'm not saying he's not a, a capable football player, but I think that people thought we're going to get some kind of Travis Kelsey like thing. He's not a he's not a Travis Kelsey. He's not that kind of type of tight end. He's an elite athlete, but he's an average football player.
1: And I'm not trying to pile on to what giant fan is feeling this morning. But last night was a really important game. You were one and two coming into the game. Had you left that game two and two, now you look at your next two games, you go to Miami, you play Buffalo. Those are probably going to be losses. I'm I'm just going to put it out there. I know that Miami's defense has some issues but they don't have that many issues where they can't stop Daniel Jones. I'm right. sorry. Let's let's just look at it and be honest. And I don't think the New York Giants defense is going to be able to do to the Dolphins offense what the Buffalo Bills did to it. No. Then you play Buffalo, and I think Buffalo is a slightly better team than Miami right now on both sides of the football. So if you're not really going to stand a chance against Miami, I think you stand less of a chance right now against Buffalo. So if you had won this game, you come out two and two, you're two and four most likely after those two games. But you're still looking at it like we win our next two. We're back to 500 and we can kind of get the things back online. Now you're one and three. Now you're probably going to be one in five. Mo, I, I don't know how you can look at this and be like, there's a, there's a path back to 500 that we're comfortable with if we're Giants fans. And I'm looking at Coach Dayball and I'm wondering like, how do you rally
0: the troops? Because no, he, he sees what you see, right? There, there are winnable games and then there are games that no matter what they do, they're not going to win. They're, they're just going to be outgunned, period. So how do you get the team, galva- galvanate your team and get them motivated going forward? Look, the opportunity, it's about competition. You can be two and four and I wouldn't say it's over. But you are hard pressed. You're, you're looking at trying to make like a win, like seven out of your next nine. Like you're you're, you're going to go on a crazy run and and really talented football teams can go on crazy runs. The Giants aren't a really talented football team. And I know Dayball did a great job of coaching them up last year and they won a lot of close games. There were cardiac kids. Every season is a different season, which is why when before the season started, we made our picks. We said we didn't think the Giants were going to make the playoffs. We thought they were going to be a lesser version of what they were last year. And really, with the offensive line being so depleted, they're worse. Because no matter how much talent you have on the outside, if your offensive line is weak or porous, your offense is going to struggle. In the Giants' case, they have a weak offensive line with no explosive talent on the outside. Everything they do or can do It's really put on the shoulders of Daniel Jones right now without Saquon Barkley, and I think that's asking a lot of a guy who who still seems to be learning the position of quarterback right now today.
1: And the Giants, they go to Miami this week. They go to Buffalo on October 15th. That's a Sunday night football game. Now you're four games under five hundred. Well, what do your next four games look like? Well, you're home for the Commanders. You're home for the Jets. You go to the Raiders. And then you go to the Cowboys. That's your path back to 500. You're not going to win all four of those games. I don't think you're going to beat the Cowboys. I don't know if you beat the Commanders. I think the Raiders and the Jets are winnable games. And then after that, you're looking at the Commanders and the Patriots and the Packers and the Saints. But again, your your margin for error when you're 1-5 in five and you're so far under 500. And I know you're going to have Giants fans be like, well, oh, Chris, come on. You're talking... Two games under or four games under, like it's you're not talking that big of a difference in the NFL when you only have 17 games. It is that big of a difference because wins matter that much more. You don't have the the comforts of another of the Major League Baseball or the NBA where you can lose four or five games in a row. And it is what it is. You can bounce back from that. You don't have that in the NFL. You don't have that luxury, and you especially don't have that luxury when you have the holes on your team that the New York Giants have. And Dable came out either late last night or early this morning, and he alluded to the fact that he's not going to make changes. He's not looking to make sweeping changes on his coaching staff, which I, is fair. I don't think him changing the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator or the quarterback's coach, I don't think that really that moves the needle. Because, Mo, you're looking at a team that has invested, I believe, four first-round picks in their offensive line over the last three drafts and they're nowhere near to having it right not even close that's the crazy
0: part they are
1: investing in their offensive line and they're still one of the worst offensive lines in football so when you're looking at a team that is investing in their o-line and they're not able to get it and i get it drafting is hard if drafting was easy we would have an abundance of gms out there and it wouldn't matter you would bring one in, bring another one in, but that's not the case. Drafting is not an exact science. Now I would argue that maybe the giants need to figure something out in their scouting department, because when you're missing this frequently on first round picks over a three year period, something probably isn't going right for you there that needs to be addressed, but you can't look at it and say, the giants aren't trying to address their offensive line. They are spending high draft capital to do that. It's just not working out, Mo, and this is the result of it. And it's a team right now with
0: no offensive identity. No no, no identity. I I don't think they know what they're going to do offensively week to week. And they have, you know, you come into a game and you go, this is what we know we do well, and this is what we can rely on. And they have no such identity like that. And they have a, a solid defense, but it's not the kind of defense that you can lean on and go, if the offense puts up 10 points, we got this. They're, they're not a dominant defensive unit. And I, I look at the team that's just in disarray. And look, Dayball's a good coach. And I don't even, like you said, I don't think there's anything wrong with the coaching staff. You can coach people up to a degree. At some point, your actual talent, it does matter. It matters even more so on the NFL because everybody is lit- literally reliant on everybody else. The quarterback and the skill position guys are reliant on the offensive line. The quarterback is reliant on the fact that he has skilled position guys who can beat one-on-ones and can be explosive, catch a six-yard pass, and maybe turn it into a 20-yard gain. And they have none of those things going for them. I'm not blaming any of this on Daniel Jones. It's kind of interesting, right? Because if you're a Jets fan, there's no shortage of people that will apologize um, for their quarterback situation, right? In in a heartbeat. No matter how he plays, like now that the Jets fans are using words like "I see capability" and "I see potential," and they got all that out of the one game, and they act like they didn't see the other three games before that, right? And, and which is strange, right? And so now with Daniel Jones, it's all like, well, they paid him a hundred. First thing they do is go to the contract, and I and I get that, but I would argue. Don't look at the records. Look at what you see. Daniel Jones is playing much better football than Zach Wilson. This is not all on him. I'm not saying he's playing at an elite level, but this giant team, like you said, Chris, has a lot of holes on both sides of the ball, and that coaching staff has their work cut out for them.
1: No, I completely agree. And Mo, in case you didn't know, it is playoff baseball day today. We have playoff baseball starting today. We got the wild card round beginning. So, of course, we're going to have JG on the show real have quick to. to talk a little playoff baseball because it would be irresponsible of us not to have JG on the show 100%. if we were talking playoff baseball. So, welcome, JG, to the show this morning, sir. How are you?
2: Doing good. How are you guys doing this morning?
1: Hey, morning, JG. Hey, it's a great morning when JG's on the show. Always. JG, before we get into some of the wild card stuff, real quick, uh, reports came out this morning that unfortunately Aaron Boone is most likely staying with the New York Yankees. Uh, obviously, the Mets have already made a managerial change. So, not change, but they've moved. Uh, their manager has moved on. Uh, look at that as you will. He chose to move on. He was told to move on. Doesn't matter what kind of bow you put on it. Either way, he's not going to be there. And that, of course, is Buck Showalter. But, JG, when you're looking just from the managerial position for the two New York teams next season, do you see the logic in keeping Aaron Boone as opposed to not going out and finding something different? I mean, yes, he's had success with the Yankees, but also you know how New York fans are. They love to hate, and he gets a lot of hate with the Yankees organization. Is it one of those things where he's getting more hate than he should be getting? Do you think he's worn out his welcome as far as his managerial style with the Yankees? What is your take on the Yankees looking like they're going to bring Boone back for another season?
2: Well, no, in regards of how the players are with him, they they obviously – they they love playing for him they respect him you know they they go play hard for him cuz the, the one thing about his antics it's always in the defense of his players you know we we, we remember the the one incident i guess it was uh 2 years ago or, or so where he the the young uh, umpire was making his first game behind the plate and he's like hey my hitters are savages you know you can't give you can't give them that call cuz it's my guys are the, the the best hitters he's, he obviously has his their, his players back the problem with it is, is it's every other game or so that the antics continue, and at, at some point, as we've noticed, as we've seen, that kind of managerial style doesn't fit in today's game anymore. The days of Bobby Cox and Lou Pinella are gone. So, and he's trying to be the old school, like you know, the old school mentality of "Hey, I'm going after you no matter what," and that doesn't fit today's style. I mean, again, in a way of old school, Terry Francona. Who you know is the calm, cool, collected, old school manager. That's that's what's in. If you're that kind of way, but in, in regards of on the field, the players still play hard for him. They still play. They still love playing for him. I don't think it was the right move because he hasn't fulfilled the expectations that are there. And I get it. And you know as well as I do, Chris. Yankee expectations are always, you know. Out of the out of the realm of what they're supposed to be, year it's always World Series or bust. Regardless if you're actually a World Series team yep. or not, the Bronx has World Series on their mind every time. He hasn't fulfilled that opportunity or fulfilled that expectation with the with the club uh, with them. So that's where I kind of feel like things are falling short. And, and, and this season, you could make the excuse of injuries. I get it. Pitching pitching staff had you know Carlos Rodon did not pitch very much, and when he did pitch, he did not pitch very well. Aaron judge missed a lot of time which that's that is who he is I know he had the one you know record-setting year but every other year since that every other year before that and after that he has missed a lot of time so the injury side of it and being an older roster is there too it it is you're not set up for success and why we you know, when I talk I, I think change should have happened and it should have happened throughout it should have you, you know bring in the new GM You know, make Cashman a you know team president, bring in a new GM, and then bring in a manager that he wants to manage this this club. I I do think that he that Boone has I won't say worn out his welcome, but I think again the expectations of Yankee fans are more than what he has provided a fan base. And at some point, accountability in the Bronx is supposed to be had if you are falling short of expectations. And so far, accountability has not been had with the retaining of Aaron Boone. What do you see happening on the Mets
1: side? Obviously, the Mets, despite the potential Otani rumors, which I think are just ridiculous, um, despite that, the Mets appear to be in a rebuild at Mm -hmm. least for next season, most likely going to bleed into the following season. So anyone that takes that job, they have to take it with the realization that they're not going to be good, at least for a couple of seasons. Is this going to be a situation where the Mets are going to bring in someone, do you think, for, you know, four or five years and kind of realize the first two years are probably just not going to be great? And maybe by three and four, they're going to start judging the manager on their capabilities and what they can do with what they think is a ready roster to compete. Because if you bring in a manager to the Mets and say we got three years, you basically got one, and you're hoping for the best at the end of this rebuild that you see the playoffs out of it. So, what do you think the Mets' plan moving forward is as far as their next manager?
2: Well, the first question got to ask as well if you're uh, if you're interviewing for the Mets' uh, job is Pete Alonso going to be in the lineup? Am I going to have Pete Alonso? Is there going to be guys who are going to be traded as well? Because as you said, it's a it's a rebuild. They've admitted it's a rebuild by trading Scherzer, Verlander, and then even the, the report that was told to Scherzer, hey, we're not competing in 2023. We're not going to compete in 2024. We're not going to compete in 2025. 2026 is our real our realistic timeline of being back to compete. So, yes, I, I do believe a, a manager that is going to get time or – in a way as well, and this is kind of the unfortunate side of the job that we've seen in the past, a manager to sit through a rebuild and then replace him when the rebuild's done. And, and that is absolutely – but we've seen it before. We have seen that before. We see it in the NFL. We see you know, we see that in the NFL that happens when you have a rebuild. You bring in a coach who the expectations are so low that even when he does meet the expectations, it's still not enough to keep his job. I kind of have a feeling that's what's going to happen unless – you owe, unless you you bring in a, uh, there's a minor league coach for the Mets. I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now, but he's very thought of highly in the organization. Bring him in if you know to coach to manage this team for the next three years of the rebuild. And if he if he exceeds the expectations and actually wins with the team, then you keep then he's going to probably keep the job. That's that's how this is probably going to work. If he if he stays within the expectations of rebuilding, it's a three year job and then you're going to get replaced by somebody who can handle a contender status moving forward at that point. And that's what I kind of think. Steve Cohen is not from what we've gotten gathered from him, again, I don't know him personally, so I'm just speaking, you know, facetious on this. He doesn't seem like the guy who's going to who's got a long leash, but he understands at this point what the business you bring in a manager do the job. And then I bring somebody else to do a better job when it's when we're ready to do that job. That's what I kind of have a feeling that they're going to do It's just bring a manager to, to 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 endure the rebuild, and then I'm going to go find a new manager that's going to help us be a contender, when we're ready to do so.
1: JG, I'm looking at the pitching matchups for the start of the wild card round, and first thing that sticks out to my mind, and this this really really hurts as a Yankee fan. They got they got Jordan Montgomery. <laughs> Starting game one in the wild card. And that, that just hurts. That hurts a little bit. Uh, But your pitching matchups are Montgomery and Glass now, uh, Gaussman <laughs> and Lopez. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the last name of the D-back starter. Because I cannot. But he's so going it's, against it's, Corbin Burns. Pitcher for the d is Fott. Fott, yes. Brandon Fott. And then the other matchup is Lazardo and Wheeler. Of those four matchups, which do you think is actually going? Because this happens all the time. You, you got these marquee matchups in the playoffs. And by the fifth inning, both starters are out. And it's, you know, five to four. And it never was the pitching matchup you thought it was going to be. Of these four matchups, which one has the best potential to actually be a pitcher's duel to open up the playoffs?
2: There's a couple uh, in these games that I'm disappointed we didn't get matchups. Like the Brewers, I'm, I'm disappointed we didn't get Zach Gallen versus Corbin Burns with, with the D-backs going with five uh blue jays and twins i'm disappointed we're not getting gosman and sonny gray uh you know so, uh, so and i know the marlins having sandy alcantara out we could have had uh alcantara versus zach wheeler which those would have been outstanding pitching matchups and i know the, the rangers and a uh, Rays have injuries uh, on both sides with scherzer and uh, or Degrom and uh, uh McClanahan for the race so we could have we could have had Outstanding pitching matchups throughout. If injuries didn't uh, injuries and even decisions of, of uh, matchups could have, uh, you know happen, uh, of the listed, I, I'm I'm intrigued of them you because know, I'm I'm the, NFC, I'm the National League East uh, being a Braves fan, I, I've seen Lazardo and Wheeler pitch. I'm intrigued by that matchup. And I think that's going to be a, a a good pitching matchup. I don't know if Lazardo is going to go six innings. Uh, if he does, if, if let's just put it this way, if Lazardo goes six, Marlins are going to win the game. I think they're going to win the game. Because if he goes anything, if he goes five or less, it's, you know, Philly, you know, Philly's actually teed off on him and put runs across the board. anymore. but if he goes six in the, uh, six innings, I think Marlins win. And that's you know, for someone who's intrigued by that matchup, if the, if the Marlins can steal game one. We could have an upset i think we could have an upset in that series and and that would be a huge upset with the phillies being the the reigning national league champions being in the world series last year so that one is probably the most intriguing matchup with the matchups that we've gotten just because again we didn't get we there's a we didn't get a few of them that i was hoping to have but Lazardo and wheeler if Lazardo goes six marlins can win now again the phillies lineup is deadly with top to bottom power run producers all over the place but if he can go six innings and kind of keep that lineup at bay and, and, and keep them streaky, I think Marlins could upset the Phillies in game one and really turn this series around uh, in Philadelphia.
1: I know that the Rangers are battling with the, the emotional response, to their collapse, and not winning the division. And now they're starting Jordan Montgomery game one. If you're the Rays, if you lose to Jordan Montgomery game one, is there any way they win this series in the wild card round? I mean, you almost half. I'm not taking anything away from Montgomery. Montgomery is a solid pitcher, but I think we can both agree Montgomery is not a one or a two. So when you're essentially starting a three guy, you know, as the first pitcher in the series, and you're starting last now on the other side, if you're the Rays, you need to win this game, right? It, the, the door is open for you to take game one and then see what happens the next couple of games after that.
2: Well, let me – real quick, let me Gene, I, I haven't the Phillies predicted to win the series. I am ter- – again, I am scared of the Phillies, but I have the Phillies predicted to win against the Marlins. But my heart is hoping the Marlins upset. Anyway, um, – Game one is more important, actually. I think for the Rangers than it is the Rays. Glass, you know, Glass now is pitching for the Rays, who's not had a good postseason history. He, you know, he's, uh, you know, hasn't had a lot of uh, positive experience in the postseason. He's had nine games pitched, and putting up his numbers: pitched in nine games, two and five overall record, with a five point seven five ERA. Not, not numbers that you're confident with with going in, and that's that's the disappointment of Tyler Glass now. Is he's, he's not fulfilled? He hasn't had it. He hasn't uh, been able to meet the expectations he had when he came into the big leagues. But this is an important game uh, for, for the Rangers more so because you do have Zach Eflin pitching game two for the Rays, And Zach Eflin is a postseason nightmare for opponents. He's pitched, He pitches really well in the postseason no matter where he's been. Philadelphia last year, he pitched very well for, uh, for them in the postseason. So this is a must-win game. I think game one for the Rangers more so than the Rays. Obviously, the Rays having home field advantage, they need to win Game One to 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 put the put the pressure on Texas. But with the, who you have pitching in Game Two is an advantage to who the Rangers right now don't have anybody listed just yet. But I, you know you, the pitching staff for Texas has not been strong, and I think you have an advantage over that right now. So if the Rays win Game One with Glass now over uh, Glass now on the mound, it's probably not going to it's going to be a two game sweep because Eflin is going to pitch uh, uh, in Game Two. And again, he's he's always lights out the postseason. So it, it's very important for Jordan Montgomery to get to a good start, and be able to go six innings. Six uh, innings. Will he go seven? I don't think he'll go seven. But if he can go six and kind of stretch out this game and let the offense and the offense is going to have to carry this Rangers team more so than than really any team, and other than Toronto, the Rangers offense is going to have to carry this team throughout the postseason if they can score against uh, and outscore Tampa with the pitching staff being. A hit or miss for for texas they have a chance but again it, it's a matter of montgomery settling in and doing his and being able to go six innings versus tyler glass who again not a great history probably will go he'll probably go three or four innings and try to turn that bullpen over which Ty, tampa's bullpen is actually pretty good so that might be the strategy if, if last now settles and goes three four innings This could be a very intriguing game, but Texas has got to score. They have to have the offense be able to knock Glass now out of the game early. JG,
1: always a pleasure having you here on the morning show. And We're going to have you back on Thursday where we're going to break down some of the first uh, games of the wild card round and kind of reset and see where the baseball landscape is a couple of days after the playoffs begin.
2: Absolutely. I'm looking forward. To it. It's my favorite time of the year. I, I love postseason baseball, I love baseball. And, and of my, of all the postseasons, and I'm being, I'm speaking bias, MLB postseason, best postseason in North American sports. Love it. I'm excited. Can't wait for it. All right, JG, we will see Thanks you later. Thanks for the knowledge,
0: JG.
1: Well, always a pleasure to have JG here on the show this morning. Uh, like you said, baseball playoffs, again, I, I don't know how they take a game that during their regular season, even avid baseball fans can be like, yeah, I'll catch the highlights. But then during the postseason, every pitch, you are hung on every single pitch. If baseball me, could just bottle me, that.
0: Then. Yes, bottle that. You <laughs> read my mind. How how can they bottle that up and kind of spread that out through the regular season? Because if you can do that, you can bring me in. Right. I'm as casual fan as you can get. But get me to postseason baseball – and I'm locked in on a 1 0 game. I'm locked in on every pitch.
1: There's just an intensity that's not there in a the regular season. Mo well, jumping back to the NFL, we got Sauce Gardner. Uh obviously he was a little disappointed with the loss, as many Jets fans were Sunday night. But you know, a day or a day or so after the loss, we have Sauce Gardner Gardner who is still talking about the late penalty in the game. He is talking about how the referees bailed out uh, Patrick Mahomes. He is talking tongue-in-cheek about how maybe if he was a Swifty, the call would have went his (laughs) way. Uh, He's still just doing a lot of of chatter about the call at the end. Was it a call? Was it a non-call? Should it have been called? Mo, for me, uh, I, I give you the night of. I give you, you – you you can be angry after the game. You can have your feelings. You can say what you want to say. But once Monday hits, we're, we're, we're moving on, all right? You are one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, you are on one of the best defenses in the league. And once we hit the next day, for me, we, we just need to move on. It was a regular season game. It was a regular season game that, let's be honest, no one thought you were going to compete in. It's great Uh, that the defense played as well as it did. It's great that Zach Wilson showed the growth that he did. But, Mo, I don't need to hear uh, Monday afternoon about the call that you thought you shouldn't have gotten or whatever the case might be from the game that was 24 hours ago.
0: And why are you still hanging on that, right? Right. Like like you got to move on and start focusing on your next opponent. Some of the best cornerbacks in football get bad calls on them. They do. And whether it's a bad call or not, there's no redo. It's over. You have you have to move on. And I understand the disappointment. And he has every right to be upset. But the game's over. You've got another opponent ahead of you this coming week. And that's where his head should be at. Although I, I thought the line about the Swifties was funny. It was, it was yeah. funny. No, it and, was
1: funny. It was and, funny. And, and
0: who's to say? Maybe if he was one, he'd get a little bit more love from the refs. I don't know.
1: All right, know. who who who's to say? But Mo, someone who isn't going to be worried about football this weekend. That is Chicago Bear or current Chicago Bears wide receiver. More to, more to come on that. Uh, current Chicago Bears wide receiver Chase Claypool, who <laughs> has been told to stay away from the team this week as the team pursues trade options for Claypool. Mo to say it's been a disaster for Chase Claypool in Chicago that doesn't even begin to describe what it's been for Chase Claypool in Chicago. I don't have the right adjectives to explain to our listeners and our viewers this morning accurately what that situation has been. All I can say is it does appear that it's coming to an end. So, Mo, I I have to ask you, what's next for Claypool? Because you know how the NFL works. Teams will basically give anybody a shot. There is going to be a GM or two out there who's got the mentality of, well, fuck, we can fix him. We can make him a number two. You know, we we can get the best out of him. That's what, that's what the GM motto is in the NFL, right? If you can't do it, we can because I'm better than you. Do you see Claypool? That's not Let's not even talk about where he goes next, because who who knows, right? Uh, Buffalo could use a two. Kansas City could use more talent at the wide receiver position. The Lions could use... I I actually know the Lions have a pretty solid one and two. But there's options. There's options to where a talented wide receiver could end up. But regardless of where he goes, do you see him finding success on his next stop? Because it was a dumpster fire in Chicago, oh, right. and let's be honest, Mo, Chicago needed a top-tier receiver. They have DJ Moore, but they needed a number two. So the door was wide open for him to be impactful on a really bad Chicago team that needs help on the offensive side of the ball, and he couldn't make it work. So what's going to happen with whatever his next stop is? And I think a lot of
0: that goes on his attitude and his approach, right? You, you mentioned the Chiefs. I could see him playing for Kansas City, but I think they would use him more in situational football, right? He's a big body receiver. Like we're talking about a guy that's like 240. He's huge. He should be able to make a lot of ways. He should be very effective in between the numbers, right? With that kind of size, his ability to go up and attack the football. But I think the problem with Claypool is it's a, it's a combination of attitude and effort. And, and maybe he saw himself as a number one, and so the idea of blocking or throwing blocks for somebody, that was too much for him, even though he's as big as a lot of tight ends. I would say his NFL future relies, the next stop he goes to his NFL future will rely on his attitude. He he needs to put on his, his new Aaron Rodgers face, if you will, when Aaron Rodgers went to the Jets and Aaron loved everybody and he wanted to hang out with all the guys and he just blended right in. Claypool needs to find out he needs to find a way to wherever he goes to be at Kansas City or somewhere else that he can go. I can accept my role. I'm going to play 25 plays, and and these are the areas that I can be effective in. This is what you need me to do. Because, like you said, in the NFL, there's always another GM that goes. Well, they just don't know how to use him, or their offensive, their, the way they run their offense doesn't fit his skill set. Somebody will use him, but if this guy can't humble himself, like he said and just focus on football, just being a good football player. Whether or not he turns out to be a star or just, just a complimentary player, that's all on him. But if he wants to remain in the league, he's going to have to change his mindset.
1: And Mo, speaking of Kansas City, I think it's fair four games into the season to revisit this question. Should we be concerned about the Kansas City Chiefs? We've seen four games of film. We've seen that they've been successful. I'm not going to sit here and say that the Chiefs aren't going to be a playoff team, but when you're a fan of the Chiefs and you have Patrick Mahomes and you've accomplished what you've accomplished, making the playoffs is no longer the bar, right? When you when you have this squad and you have that quarterback, it's the it's the AFC championship game. That's that's where the expectations begin. And let's be honest, it's winning that game, getting to the Super Bowl, and then winning the Super Bowl. That's that those are where the expectations are making the AFC championship game to winning the Super Bowl. You need to fall somewhere in there if you are going to have what's going to be deemed by Chiefs fans as a successful season. So you look at this team and, you know, you're, you're halfway through the second half of the game against the Jets. And you look at the, the stat sheet and he's throwing the ball a lot to Travis Kelsey and a lot to his running backs. And he got the wide receivers more involved later in the game, especially in that drive, uh, that fourth quarter drive where they put points on the board. But aside from that, you're just not seeing consistent involvement from the wide receivers in the offense. You'll see him go more consistently to his second tight end, Noah Gray, I believe is his name, than you will see him go to one of his wide receivers. So, Mo, is this something that is sustainable? over the course of the season. Because, yes, it's it's working now, but we have never really seen a team. I mean, even if you look last year, Juju Smith-Schuster isn't nobody. He's a two on a lot of teams, right? right? So if if you're looking at a two, on a, it's different when you don't have a one, but you have a handful of twos. And you're just like, you know, we Kelsey's got to be the one, and we're going to surround him by twos and we're, we're going to make the best of it. Fine. Right, I, right. I'm, I'm with you there. But when you look at what you have, I don't know if you even have a team filled with twos. I think you have some two potential, but I think you have a lot of threes. So when you're looking at your wide receiver room and that's your situation, I don't know if I'm comfortable thinking that, because let's be honest, Mahomes is pulling a lot of things out. Mahomes, it was Mahomes that won that Jets game. It was Mahomes that did what he had to do at the end. He did it with his legs. He did it by himself extra time. that's what it was. I don't know if this Kansas City team can continue being this Mahomes pulling it out of the bag of tricks, just making it happen all the time at this rate. I think at some point you're going to hit the wall. And I don't know what it looks like when that happens. And I think that
0: because we're so used to him finding a way to make a play, be it with his legs or his arms, a lot of Chiefs fans get accustomed to that and they just write it off as, we're fine. We've got Patrick, we've got Kelsey, Reed's on the sideline. We're, we're good. We're, we'll find a way um, to win football games. And I think they will against the inferior teams. The teams they're supposed to beat, I think they will beat. But when you get into the playoffs, because like you said, it's not about – just making the playoffs if you're a Chiefs fan. It's about being in the AFC championship game. What happens if they get knocked out in the first round? It's not impossible. I'm looking at their office, and let's bring up the name. No one's brought up the name. Maybe it does also have something to do with the fact that Eric Biennemi is not on your staff anymore. Maybe there is an Eric Biennemi effect, and he might deserve more credit than he was given. I, I think that They're so confident in Patrick Mahomes. And look, rightfully so. You and I both agree. Terrific, great player, best quarterback in football. But they're so confident in him. Rather than go out and get another, another weapon, a legit number one receiver or number two, like you said, they're like, we can make it with threes and Kelsey. We're, we're good. I look at their offense, Chris, and it is, it is boring. And in every, every, and it's a, it's a struggle. Like Patrick Mahomes is, is is doing his best Alex Smith. And not on purpose, but because that's how he's got to play right now, six yards here, four yards there, uh, use his legs when he needs to. They're not explosive offensively. Look, right, right now, you could argue that their run game has been better than their pass game. And, 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 and maybe they should rely more on, uh, I'll tear up his name, I think it's Isaiah Pachenko, but he's been terrific so far. Hey, if he's gonna run the football that way with that much force and be that consistent, then run the football, and maybe that'll open up things for your wide receivers. We keep saying when is Sky Moore gonna step up? When is Sky Moore gonna step up? Sky Moore seems to be content to be a three or a four. I don't even know if he's a three, maybe a four. I nice. think I think you know what? You're in a you're right now if you're Kansas City, you're in this run with Patrick Mahomes in his prime. You don't think about the future. You think about the now. You got to go out and get a receiver. You got if to, if not a one, at least a legit number two. But he needs more talent out there. I think at some point, if you try to get by with what they have, you will hit a wall. You will hit a wall. And their defense can be solid at times, but it's not a dominant defense. And what happens if they get into a game with the team that does have offensive firepower like the bills or like the dolphins. I just don't think they have enough to keep up with them. Not offensively. They really don't. So if I'm Kansas city, how are you not looking
1: to get a wide receiver? So Travis Kelsey, obviously paced the target sharehold uh, the other night. He had nine targets. The next was five by the wide receiver rice, but three of the four top targets were not wide receivers. Uh, Kelsey had nine, Pacheco had three, Gray had three. The overall count, tight ends, running backs had 18 targets, wide receivers had 10. And that wide receiver number was bumped up on the last drive because on the last drive, he had three or four completions, two wide receivers. So it really made that number a lot closer than it actually was for the majority of the game. And again, you know, and Key made this point in the chat and I, I really like it. It's that you're what you're doing is you're essentially saying, I'm gonna ride with Kelsey. I'm gonna ride, I'm gonna ride with my tight ends. I trust them. I like them. It, it, it's working. We're gonna get the running backs involved. Pacheco is fantastic. He loves throwing the ball to McKinnon. You got uh Clyde Alaire there as well. But when you need it, then you're saying we're gonna work in the wide receivers. And Mo, I I struggle with that because you're literally saying. We're not going to give you a lot of rub throughout the game. We're going to take a shot here and there. Hopefully, you know, we we build up a lead. But if we don't, we're going to need you to make the plays in the fourth quarter. You know, game-winning drive, come-from-behind drive. And look look at the first game. Look at the first game of the season for the Chiefs where Mahomes was dropping things into the breadbasket and Tony couldn't catch the ball. And it wasn't just Tony. I think Moore had a couple of drop passes that game as well. So I just get concerned because you're, you're, you're taking the game plan of we're not going to work the wide receivers in early because we, we like what we have with our running backs and our tight ends, and it, it's working so far. But when we need it, we are going to come back to the wide receivers, and hopefully they make the plays because, yeah you know, when, when, when we call you, we need you. But, Mo, I feel like you're going to eventually start getting burned if you're going to go that route. You can't just not use – your wide receiver room for 80% of the game and then be like, well, we need you now. Let's go. Right. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. That's not really a strategy, right? That's, that's more
0: like a hope. And and how do these guys develop confidence? You, de- you develop the confidence because you do go to them early. You do, even if it's a, a six yard out or a quick slant or a curl route, you find ways to build their confidence up so that later on in the game, they're accustomed to the ball coming their way. And not just at the last moment, I I just really think I I don't like that strategy because I don't think that breeds confidence And what young receivers need. They need their confidence built up. Not not every young receiver comes into the NFL and they're Jamar Chase. He's one of one. He's very unique. Or Jefferson in Minnesota. Those are unique uh, type A players. You've got other guys who, like we agree in Kansas City, we're talking about twos, maybe threes. So they're complimentary players at their peaks. They're complementary players. I just think that the, the Chiefs, Chiefs right now are playing Russian roulette. And as good a coach as Reed is, love Mahomes and Kelsey, that trio, I don't think that's going to be enough this season. It's a different season. I think they're going to need more. You're either going to breed more confidence into those young receivers by making them a bigger part of your offense, or you're going to continue with the gamble you're doing and fall flat when it matters most.
1: And speaking of Jamar Chase, uh, I I, got we gotta be if Mo if anything on the morning show we are fair, and if we are going to make it rain on Stephon Diggs for him saying he wants the ball more and he is always open, it would be unfair if we did not pass that same criticism onto Jamar Chase, who after the game this past week, (laughs) he was clearly frustrated, (laughs) he was clearly upset with being beaten by Tennessee. He threw out some explicatives about how he's always effing open and how they need to get him the ball. And I I get it. I get it, Jamar, but Mo, I think he needs to realize that his quarterback can't move. Joe Burrow literally cannot move in the pocket. He has no strength throwing off of his injured calf. So although you may always be open, it's a different situation when your quarterback physically, physically cannot get you the football. Am I wrong? hundred percent. Right. And look, your quarterback, in my opinion, shouldn't be playing. Not at all. Shouldn't Rest be playing. Them. Give them Rest your
0: quarterback. It may, it may it may cost you this season, but this is about your long term future. Your franchise quarterback. Send him play the. And, and by the way, Jamar Chase is complaining about being open. You're gonna really know what it's like when the young guys in there for two or three games about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then and then talk to me about being. You're gonna be wide open. and You're gonna get the ball. So I, I really think the bigger picture for Cincinnati and Jamar Chase. Look, you got to be a better teammate, bro. Just, just, just focus on the team and trying to find a way to win games. But the truth is, Joe Burrow should not be on the football field right now.
1: Well, let's transition to some NBA stuff to close out the show. Kawhi Leonard made headlines yesterday because he said that no policy in the NBA is going to get him to play more games. And I saw the quote. And I had to I had to look into it because I was like, that sounds a little out of context. And it was. Uh, But the gist of the situation is that Kawhi was talking about the NBA's new system in place where you can only rest one star at a time. And you and I have kind of poked fun about, well, what is a star and how is that? How is that going to translate to the season? And we know that the NBA has defined stars, but that's kind of a fluky definition as well. But when you look at someone like Kawhi, who is coming out, and the reports are that Kawhi is fully fully healthy, Paul George is fully healthy, they're ready to go. But we know that doesn't mean much, because Kawhi's been fully healthy a lot of times. And you look at him in the comments that he made, Mo, and he really got into the Toronto season, where they won the championship in Toronto. And he basically, saying without saying, he basically said that, The Toronto season was the only season in my career where I've ever been load management. Toronto season is the only season where I've ever, you know, been healthy to potentially play, but was really watching my minutes and I was really trying to protect myself. So I sat out some games in Toronto that I probably could have played. Uh, But aside from that, any other game I've ever sat out, it's because I I just wasn't able to go. I just wasn't ready to play. And Mo, I I have to ask you about that because – There's numerous reports from last season where the Clippers didn't know the the day of a game, whether or not Kawhi was going to play because they were waiting for him to come into the building and tell them whether or not he was going to play. So I, I question his comments because when you have a medical staff in the NBA and you have a medical team that is supposed to be the best at what they do, they should be the ones that know whether or not Kawhi can play. They should be the ones that know where he is on the injury spectrum as opposed to, you know, yeah, he should be able to go tonight or no, he's probably not going to be able to go even if he wants to, don't let him. But when you have numerous times during a season where the Clippers are like, we don't we don't know yet. We don't know if he'll be available. We'll, we'll know more before game time. And there's reports that he comes into the building is like, I'm not playing tonight. Are you really, really quiet? Every game you took off, you just you just weren't able to go. You there was just no way you could have physically played the game that night. I feel like the reports kind of contradict that a little bit, Mo. Where where, where do you sit on that?
0: So let's start with Toronto. For what it's worth, what the Raptors did, it worked. They it won a championship. It, it worked. They they, and they knew they they wanted to rest him. It wasn't like he came that they wanted to rest him. Their whole goal was to get him healthy or keep him healthy for the postseason. And they won a championship. Mm-hmm. The problem with the Clippers is when they brought him there, they basically gave him the key to the castle to where he, run, he almost runs everything. Like like Paul George isn't a Clipper. If Kawhi Leonard doesn't say so. Matter of fact, if Paul George doesn't go to the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard would be a Laker. Like that's how much weight he was carrying and he he still carries that weight. So I I, I do think this one people should know Kawhi's issues with his knees are chronic. They are there. He has, he has chronic issues with his knees. It's not a fake thing. It's a real thing. So what it comes down to then is pain tolerance. So do I think that he can go some nights that he chooses not to? I do. I do, but I can't tell him, I can't, Tell one guy what 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 your pain tolerance is. That can you go to an eight or a nine and you're fine, or do you tap out at a five? Everybody's different when it comes to pain tolerance. So I'm gonna say that it's somewhere in the middle. I I, I think that he has not played games that he could have played for sure. Now it's unfair that he's been made the poster child for for load management, but <laughs> but to be fair, it did start in San Antonio and. And and it wasn't just with him. They were doing it with Duncan and Parker. Mm-hmm. But but I guess because he was the younger guy and he be, later became the star of the team, it kind of like maybe when it got broadened throughout the league, they were like, well, Kawhi Leonard. And he became the guy. And he's been injured, what, two out of the last three seasons? Like he really hasn't been healthy since the bubble. and 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 the, I think that was the last time. He was healthy in the bubble. And then the following season, obviously – he he bumped knees with with um slips my nine, my mind, played for the jazz Joe yeah, Joe yep. Joe Engels. Yep. And 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 he had to have surgery on the knee again. Last year in the postseason, he was terrific in games one and two. He tore his meniscus in game one. He played in game two. So obviously, I I, I don't question him as a competitor. I, I just it's a difficult thing to, to deal with if you're a GM and if you're a head coach, when your star player, I don't want to use the word arrogantly, but when your star player shows up the last minute and right before you guys get ready to play, goes, Yeah, coach, I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling it tonight. Um not not tonight. Let let um let Norman Powell start tonight. I'm good. <laughs> I, that is a frustration and that's and that is kind of, that is kind of an arrogance. But I I, I think Kawhi Leonard is a serious person. And I think that he thinks when he can't go, he truly believes he's physically unable to go. Now, whether the training staff and the doctors agree with him, that's a whole nother matter. So I think it does fall somewhere in the middle. If you're a Clippers fan, your frustration must be through the roof. But then at, then again, at the same time, like I said, the guy played in game two with a torn meniscus.
1: He didn't have to do that. I wouldn't have done that. It's It's a mixed bag. All right, Mo, we got 60 seconds left here. Before we get out of here this morning, let's talk about the Avengers uniting. The NBA players are coming out of the woodwork to play for Team USA in Paris in the Olympics. Steph has confirmed. KD has confirmed. Jason Tatum has confirmed. Rumors are LeBron's going to be joining this team. Rumors are that Damian Lillard and Anthony Davis are interested. Mo, it is all coming together for Team USA to set up what would have to only be called the next incarnation of the dream team. I would have to imagine you're all for this.
0: Not really. Um, (laughs) You know what? The young guys failed, right? The team that just just played they they struggled. They did. I, I think you can actually win it all with a group of young players. But you need to have a better construction of young players. I didn't mm-hmm. like that roster top to bottom, and that was the problem. The roster construction was flawed. I like a Bobby Portis on my team as a role player during the regular season. I don't like him in the Olympics when I'm trying to win the gold. And and, and I should top to bottom, I should have all NBA type players on that roster. They had flawed roster construction. If you want to do another dream team, it's fine but I'm kind of over with the dream team concept. I I would much rather the young guys do it.
1: You heard it here. Mo is not buying the dream team part two Jersey, or I guess it's actually part three, technically, you know, or part four or part four. Mo, pleasure as always this morning, sir. Uh, We really appreciate everyone who was in the chat this morning. Uh, Apologies to anyone that we did not get to in the chat this morning, but we do appreciate all of you being here. We also appreciate everyone who tuned in this morning on Roku TV to check us out. Uh, Again, you know, big shout out to everyone over there, Northeast Streaming Sports. Really appreciate your support this morning. Mo, close us out, sir. Hey, thanks to everybody
0: in the chat. Thanks to everybody watching us on Roku TV. Appreciate you. We're totally grateful for this opportunity. Check out all the other great content that we have at Sports Empire Network. Check out the Empire.
1: We'll be back here same time, same place tomorrow morning. I am Chris, and that is Mo, and this is Coffee and Sports, and we'll see you tomorrow.